Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is May 2nd, 2019. It is a Thursday. It is super busy, but it is kind of like we're on a roller coaster, and we're almost at the top, and that's on Friday. Uh, Barr didn't go to the Judiciary um, Committee. Uh, Nadler threw a fit. Iranian oil waivers ended today. Uh, It hasn't been officially announced, but I'm hearing that it has been officially announced in Turkey that the president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump, will be visiting Turkey and meeting with Erdogan in July, the same month they are due to receive their S-400 missile systems. Pretty Weird. A lot going on. Japan and China showing and India showing that they stand with the United States. A lot of turmoil going on with the oil deal with all these waivers going down. We've got Venezuela literally on fire. So much to talk about. And for some reason, my Twitter feed with everyone that I follow, and I don't follow a lot of people because I want to see things. See, a lot of people are like, I follow back and this. I only follow back people that give me tips, that show me things. I mean, I follow a wide range of them. That's the whole reason you follow people is because you want to see things from them, not just for the sake of following. So... My Twitter feed is where I follow a lot of news organizations or alternative news, and it is pretty insane. Everyone's talking about things that aren't really that important, and I subscribe to a lot of these uh, foreign uh, news outlets that are very biased. A lot of them are completely anti-Semitic. They run articles like, you know, U.S. Congress tells Israel you are not allowed to have, you know, U.S. aid to, you know, kill children. Like, what? So hold on to your seats today because we're going to be talking about things that other people aren't. You know, on Monday, I started to talk about Turkey. I said how it, how important it is, and I was right on the money because it was on Monday that our president actually had a call with Turkey. He spoke with Erdogan. He told him exactly what I've been telling you. I am not backing down with the F-35, S-400 issue. He made it clear. And that is where they arranged that uh, they will be uh, that the president will be visiting Turkey in July on the heels of visiting the United Kingdom. And uh, actually, it was yesterday that Bolton and uh, an aide of President Erdogan are trying to figure out which date in July 
the president of the United States will be visiting. So you heard it here first. Uh, no one else is telling you anything <laughs> that that's actually happening. Now, I wanted to say, you know, uh, last week when when um, Prime Minister Abe was here from Japan golfing with the president for Melania's birthday. And, you know, I'm actually kind of pleased to see such good relations with big leaders uh, that our president has. I mean, that's pretty cool that they can celebrate their their wives birthdays they can you know talk shop and play golf um i think that's pretty cool anyway japan has ceased purchasing oil from iran that's done Along with Greece, Italy, and Taiwan too they ceased purchasing oil from iran india as well, believe it or not, guys, India was one of those countries, and they know the rupee is going to get hit hard. They know it's going to be a big issue for them, and uh, it is a pretty big deal, a pretty big deal for these countries. Uh, because remember, India is struggling in regards to their economy lately, and it is bracing right now for a huge price shock now that it stops uh, purchasing oil. Because India, uh, you know, was warned in November that their waiver is expiring, and it was one of the eight countries that got the waiver extended up until today. So now it has decided that instead of purchasing oil from Iran, it will supplement purchasing oil from the United Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. And um, Foreign Minister Swaraj said that he discussed all of this, uh, you know, and the arrangements they made last week with Secretary Pompeo. And this was announced today uh, on Indian television, NDTV, New Delhi TV to be exact, right? So the other two, uh, so let me just restate the countries, okay? It was uh, Italy, Greece, Taiwan, India, South Korea, Japan, China. Why am I missing one? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Let me use my fingers. It's uh, Italy, Greece, Taiwan, India. Oh, yeah. Turkey, China, South Korea, and Japan. So Greece, Italy, Taiwan, India, and Japan have already stated that they are no longer buying oil from Iran. Left we have is China, South Korea, and uh, Turkey. So the I just wanted to say that the, let me just focus on India because India was getting the majority of their uh, crude oil um, from Iran. Okay, so this is a really big deal. They had a price shop, and now they're buying from three different countries to supplement. Uh, the Iranian deficit. They wanted to stand by the United States and remember that Iran is the third largest supplier of oil to India because, you know, they were already buying from Saudi Arabia and the United Emirates, okay? Uh, Actually, sorry, that's wrong. They're buying from Turkey as a reseller, Iran Direct, and uh, Saudi Arabia, And the United States. I mean, they have multiple sources, right? They have contracts. But the thing is, is that what they wanted to show is that it's going to hurt them because India was able to get oil 
um, a lot less than other countries. It cost them a lot less and it was easier for them to buy on credit with them and their insurance policies to insure the cargo was less because Iran would kind of back that up for them. So, it, you know, they're really walking into murky and uncharted waters right now because that is where you get your oil, your crude oil at cheap price. Uh, the tankers are less on insurance because they're government owned from Iran and they stand by it. So if anything was to happen with the tanker, it didn't show up on time or anything went pear-shaped, Iran would take the full brunt of it. Whereas other countries don't do that um, at 100%. It costs a lot because you have to insure the cargo, right? It spills, who takes the responsibility, who cleans it up, who's on the boat, how does the boat come, et cetera, et cetera. There's, it's, it's a lot more. People need to understand that it costs a lot more money than what it does per barrel to just move it, Okay. Because there's a lot of intricacies, kind of like when we move oil from the U.S. to Canada. See, I know this because my husband works on the railroad and does it. But think about it. They buy whatever it is per barrel. They put it on tankers on two-mile-long trains. Those trains are then – that cargo is insured, but then the train is insured. Then the insurance includes the drivers of the train, the conductors and engineers that take it over. And then they also have to pay rent for the railway that they're driving on to get it over. Then they also have to have warrants for the tracks. That's what they're called, track warrants, in order to allow them to move this oil in the cargo. So it's very, uh, it's a lot more complicated than people like to think. You know, we simplify things because people... Uh, you know, don't like intricacies, but uh, you know, I'm not here to tell you the simplicity part of it. I'm telling you it's a lot more complex. And this move by the United States is to completely kneel the Iranian uh, economy in order for them to comply. The nuclear Iran, the Iran nuclear deal was a complete sham. We all know that. Um, so this is a this is a big concern. Now, the fact that there is uncertainty in the prices yet is because, you know, Saudi Arabia, the United Emirates that have been asked to pump oil and, and, and put more oil out to meet the deficit, like I've expressed to you, they have the concern of reserves. They only have 60-somewhat years left at the rate they're going. If they increase the rate to meet the demand, that can cost them their security as a nation going forward. So we have to understand this. And this is why Venezuela is key right now because we've also put embargoes on on Venezuelan oil and that's causing stress in the Caribbean too. Now, um, Saudi Arabia says that they don't need to increase the supply to cover, you know, Iran's deficit because they can meet the demands with what they're doing. And so people aren't that sure. So India has let people know that their gas prices may go up. And, you know, they're really not sure how they're going to work with it. But they're cooperating with with the United States to find ways to protect um, India's energy and their economic security interests. And I'm pretty sure that'll probably bode well for us because we can have oil booms uh, coming up again in North Dakota and Texas. I mean, we have tons of oil or Alaska, whatever. We'll start drilling.
and we can meet that demand, which will give us more money. So we need to understand that the export, so since November, when uh, it was stated that these waivers are for six months and they expire on May the 2nd, exports for oil from Iran shot up 36%. Asian buyers like China, India, South Korea, uh, and Japan, uh, you know, it went up 36%. That's 1.57 million barrels per day of crude oil from Iran happened in March. Like, you know, the Japanese, the Chinese, the Indians, and the South Koreans, they all bought a hella oil from Iran in March. They got it at a cheap rate. They said, this is going to be the last amount of money you're getting. So Iran churned it out and said, take, 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 because they know they're in for a huge ride. And on the other hand, Japan, South Korea, India, and China got pretty good deals by by buying so much. I mean, think about it. Almost 1.6 million barrels of oil a day. Because the goal was that the United States wants to completely zero out any oil export uh, exporting from Iran. And so that was our goal to stymie their ability to generate income and thus comply, uh, starving them out, as one would say. So this is, you know, this is huge. No one's really talking about it. And um, OPEC, just so you know, last month hit an all-time low, meaning like Saudi Arabia, the United Emirates, the U.S., everyone that's part of OPEC, not a lot of people were buying from it. And the 14 members uh, that pumped, you know, uh, 30 million barrels per day collectively from all 14 members, um, it it went down to 90,000 barrels per day. That is Super low, lower than it's been since like 2015, like super low. So obviously nations like China, India, South Korea, whatever, were not buying from Saudi Arabia, the U.S. and um, and the United Emirates and other and Kuwait and other countries that are part of it only because they were buying bulk from Iran quickly. So it's 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 a pretty huge deal, and um, this creates a very fragile petrol uh, market. It's very fragile right now because if you know, I don't want to use the a word, but if they wanted to be schwines, you know, you want to be a swine, the Arabs could clearly say, well, we're going to start selling it for like a thousand dollars per barrel because we feel like it, and then people would have to comply or do something, okay? I'm just saying. They can fix the price if they want to. So it's really important that our president built up these great relations with them. Now, China, okay, is really pissed because their refineries um, have – they have oil coming in from everywhere for their refineries. And so they're a little bit – Really, really not being rubbed the right way right now, not only because of the tariffs, but the fact that the president is squeezing them because they buy a billion in Iranian crude oil. And this oil is clearly stuck right now because 
they are so angry that the president is telling them where they can or can't buy oil. And they have to decide, do we want to play nice with President Trump or don't we? And um, the thing is, is that the Chinese refineries that get this crude oil aren't able to secure any financing and insurance to purchase oil because of the uncertainty because of these waivers. So like, for example, if they wanted to go get oil from, I don't know, the United Emirates, they may not be uh, credit-wise in a position like the insurance companies that hold these policies may not allow them to get the money they need to pay the United Emirates to ship the oil because of the insurance costs and, the, and how volatile the market is. So you have to know that Iran, when they send oil, they send it with their national tankers, okay? Just so you understand, they have their own tankers. And that's how they send it out, with, uh, out to China, now, Iran was backlogged because the storage capacity that they had, they exhausted it and they were pushing it out. And remember, China is one of the biggest buyers of Iranian oil. Now, one would think it's Turkey, but Turkey buys from Iran, Qatar, Oman, Yemen, and it funnels through that way. So you have to understand that right now there's tankers stuck and they're bonded storage tanks stuck at the Dalian airport and it hasn't even gone through Chinese customs yet. So they, you know, China obviously expressed their concerns to the president said, listen, president Trump, you know, we need to talk about these waivers, but the president was like, we're not talking about it. We already talked about it. I told you six months ago, that's it. And, um, even though there's a waiver, China may not be able to stop the imports because, like I said, they have a backlog and it's sitting at customs. So in essence, they would still be putting it out. And this crude oil is sitting there. So they, they might be allowed to continue some of them. Now, when I was looking into the shipping data, it seems that a lot of that backlog oil has actually been moved. And um, the issue is that the refineries can't turn it out as fast too. So you have to understand that it is so volatile right now that there isn't not, there's not one Chinese company that will affiliate themselves with Iranian oil Unless the government tells them to. So, you know, that's already been put in place. China will not allow anything to happen. And that comes from um, an oil and gas consultancy company called Muse Stencil & Co. That's uh, from Singapore. And they literally said, you know, this has already been done. Uh, we already know that China said we're not doing it anymore. Uh, but on the other hand, China's not got many good plans in place. Um, so if China is going to continue to buy oil from Iran, nobody knows what's going on because there's not been an official statement on China's position. Though what I told you last week is that uh, China met with Russia. So my what I'm thinking is, is that like India, uh, they will 
expand their purchasing capacity to fill the deficit of Iranian purchases. Remember, like India, for example, would buy direct from Iran, but they're still buying from Turkey. And this is why it's uncertain. See, because a lot of people are like, all right, you find an alternate source, you're good. Well, Turkey already said, I'm not not buying oil from Iran. I have pipelines with them. They cost me a lot of money. I have thousands of people that work on these pipelines. And if I stop buying oil from them, then I can't sell it to the European Union. Then I'm at a deficit and that cripples my Turkish economy. So what's going to happen next is that Turkey's going to be sanctioned. And if Turkey gets sanctioned, then India is in a really hard place as they're one of their top sources for oil and gas. And uh, that's going to be a problem because then they're going to have to further expand their relationships. And here's the thing. The contracts they have with these countries, and I want to make it clear. So I'm India. And I have, uh, you know, I buy crude oil from Iran and they send it to me and now I can't do that anymore. I have a contract with um, Turkey to buy natural gas from them and some oil uh, through their pipelines, whichever it is. But that contract says that if I'm buying it from them, I can't buy it from Russia more than so much because I dedicate that business or, for example, I can only get... Mm, Gas from Turkey, I can't buy gas from Russia, um, but I can buy oil, in refined oil, I guess, from Russia, okay? So that's my contract. So now I'm India, and I've stopped taking crude oil from Iran. So I'm like, okay, crude oil is not part of my contract with Turkey with this pipeline where I get it dirt cheap. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy crude oil from all these three countries, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and the United Emirates. Great. I've got alternate deals. But now that Turkey is not complying with the sanctions, Turkey gets sanctions. So that means me as India has to find an alternative to supplement my natural gas. And it's like, but my contract with Turkey says that I can't get natural gas from Russia. I mean, I could go to Russia because they have natural gas, but I'm not allowed to because of my contract with Turkey. Is my contract null and void because of U.S. sanctions? It, it really isn't. You would have to breach that contract. I'm trying to... Put it out there so you guys understand. And that breach of contract, in essence, will cause India problems because the pipelines were actually funded by the World Bank and by loans where the European Union and other countries contributed to create these pipelines. And then they'll be in default for those loans and the terms and conditions for it. Because, you know, when we talk about this, there's so many people out there <clears throat> – talking about this topic, and they have no idea how intricate it is, no idea how this sparks war. They just assume, oh, yeah, we're not buying oil and gas, period. No, it's more complicated. There's other contracts in place. So it's like I'm India. I can't just stop buying stuff from Turkey because if I, I can because there are sanctions. But here's the thing. I'm not sanctioned from loans. I'm not sanctioned for money that I've put in there. I'm not sanctioned from anything. And then my next best bet is to get it from Russia that has some pipelines, that has some access, that can bring it over to me and I can get it through them. It'll cost me more money. But if I do it with Russia, then I'm in breach of my loan contract and I'm in a, I'm in a really big pickle. Are you guys getting it? So this is massively huge. And the fact that the media isn't out there explaining it to you guys, I mean, I can write it up, but I get confused just writing half of this stuff. This is just how big it is.
This move by the president is kind of like Rua, the Rua move in chess, you know, where you're like, Rua, there we go. And this is one of the most aggressive moves where you're like, I'm beefing up to get you on checkmate, but I'm going to give you a couple steps. I'm going to let you dance a little bit to see if we can get a stalemate and just be friends or I'll just check you. And this is the check. This is the check aggress. Okay. This is the move before checkmate. And so now we have the European Union coming out because they know what's up. Saying, oh, well, Iran has been like complying with the Iran nuclear deal. So I don't see why we can't buy stuff from them. This is what they're pushing. The Germans, the French, the United Kingdom, all those people that took part of this Iran nuclear deal are saying that Iran has been complying with their deal. So we shouldn't be sanctioning them like this because they know what's next. If Turkey gets sanctioned next, which they will then the European Union or NATO has to decide where they stand. Do they stand with the United States or do they stand with Iran? Because that is the bottom line. It's not Turkey. Turkey's just the middle guy. Remember, we said it. Keys to the kingdom, distribution, that's it. So these are economies that are being strangulated right now globally, and we are trying to mitigate it. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people coming out backlash, the European Union saying that the crown prince isn't going to do it. The prices aren't moving fast enough. Kuwait met with the with the Saudi prince, the crown prince. They met with Kuwait. They're all talking about it. The president is talking. They're on top of this. They are working on this to see how they can mitigate the process and expedite what needs to be done. But we've got resistance from the European Union, and that's not on the only front. Right after the break, we'll talk about the resistance of handing over Assange. That is interesting. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it? the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855 700 2978. 855 700 2978. That's 855-700-2978. 
It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So, uh, like I said, uh, the United Kingdom and the European Union are fighting the United States on all fronts. Not a very nice face for our supposed allies, now, is it? Now, we talked about the Iranian waivers. That is to pop as to see who complied and who didn't. Um, like I said, before I get into Assange, I just wanted to focus a little bit on Turkey. Turkey is having a lot of problems right now. They spoke, uh, Erdogan spoke with the president on Monday, like I said, and just this Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Bolton actually discussed a presidential visit to Turkey. No one else is telling you that. I'll probably post an article about that um, in July. And what's weird is, is that in July, Turkey is expected to receive their huge order from Russia on the S-400 missile systems. Now, what's going on in Turkey is a really big deal. Uh, There are over 30 investigations into allegations of um, voter fraud or irregularities um, in the local elections that happen on March 31st. The prosecutors have launched these investigations. They've looked at uh, over 100 polling station officials questioning, et cetera, et cetera, because for some reason – Erdogan is not getting the votes he wants. So it's a really big party, and Erdogan has called for the annulment of the elections in Istanbul and asking for it to be done. Um, This is pretty huge because the Republican People's Party, the the party CHP, which which has formed an alliance with smaller parties, won – the the mayoral races in both these huge cities, right, like Istanbul and, and Ankara, both of them, they won. And they have actually won the vote. So Imam Moglu, which was declared Istanbul's mayor last month, um, you know, which is, you know, the Republicans' People Party guy, uh, you know, he 
he was declared the mayor, even though Erdogan's party is pushing to invalidate the vote. Like Erdogan is being voted out. The people of Turkey have spoken. They don't want him. And now what he's doing is he's annulling all elections. So there's five cities so far that voted and they voted against Erdogan. They want more uh, Republican parties. They don't want progressive. They don't want Sharia. They want a more republic, more westernized. And so this is a big deal. People need to keep their eyes on Turkey because Turkey is a hot mess. I've said it before. I said it last. I said it years ago. That when World War Three sparks, which is already has, it will be from Turkey. And, you know, a lot of people are like, what, Turkey? And it's like, guys, you have no idea. They are in the middle of everything. They are the gatekeepers to the Middle East. They hold the keys to the distribution of oil. They are NATO's second largest military force. The first one is the United States. And they have Russian arms deals, etc. And they have a leader that is an insane religious fanatic. And they have been refused entry into the EU because they are unstable. So take it up another notch. We have the president refusing the people's elections because he didn't win. So he's contesting and trying to null them all. So apparently uh, they want to redo the elections in Istanbul. And basically it's going to be repeated on June the 2nd. How crazy is that? I mean, I can't believe that Erdogan is annulling elections left and right. I mean, this is preposterous. There's a little video here from Al Jazeera. Let me see. Let me see if I can play this for you, where they talk about it, too. Yeah, I like Al Jazeera, even though sometimes they're very biased on what they say. Um, I kind of like them, and it's not working for me, so I don't know what to do on that. Well, then, no soundbite there. So now that that's, that's there, so you understand where they're going, and the fact that Turkey is finding it very difficult to diversify their oil imports from, you know, uh, Iran, you know, because Kavusoglu, who is the foreign minister, today said that the waivers expired, um, you know, to buy oil, and he said that Turkey's refineries are not suitable <laughs> Sorry, I'm loving. He says the oil refineries that they have in Turkey are not suitable to buy oil from other um, <laughs> countries because, you know, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Because, come on, who buys that? It's like saying, well, I can't buy Texan oils because my refinery. Well, okay, let's be honest. There's different quality, I guess, whatever. Okay, but come on, man. You get oil from a variety of countries and you just can't get from where? I'll tell you where he can't get from. Saudi Arabia, the United Emirates, and Kuwait. Why? Because he hates them. They are neck and neck. Uh, Turkey as a country has taken a very hostile stance against Saudi Arabia because they're like Saudi Arabia and the United Emirates support Israel. Israel needs to die. We need to annihilate them, period. That is what he says, so he can't deal with that. And he's refusing to buy from the United States. So it's like he's kind of stuck. So I'm sorry, but I, I really I, I really find it funny because he's a dictator. 
he is a really big dictator. And so um, it's going to be a big issue. We have to remember that uh, Turkey is a country where Wikipedia isn't allowed. You know that, right? You do understand that, that there is no Wikipedia. It's not allowed in Turkey, right? They can turn off Twitter if they want to, too. So I just thought I'd bring that up to you guys so you understand exactly where Turkey is sitting and um, how it's going about. I mean, not only them. I mean, we even see Qatar uh, talking up against uh, the Iran sanction. Because the foreign minister, um, Mohammed bin Abdullahrahman Al Thani, uh, spoke at the press conference uh, yesterday, and he said that, you know, uh, he had a press conference yesterday, and he said that, you know, he's condemning whatever the U.S. is doing, and... Um, and the fact that the U.S. already designated the, R, uh, the IRG, you know, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, as a terrorist group, he said that's wrong. You know, the sanctions have to, uh, sh- you know, shouldn't be extended. It's it's hurting other countries that depend on Iranian oil. Like I said, it does hurt other countries like India, China, Japan, South Korea. I mean, they are going somewhere else. And you know, um, Qatar is kind of a middle person. You know. They're 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 not doing well with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, the United Emirates. Uh, they broke apart, and remember, Qatar is linked up to Iran. And the reason he's speaking out is because if Turkey stops buying from Iran, then that means they're not getting it from Qatar. It's not like you can see which one t- Iran is really sending you. Iran could be like, I'm not buying from you, Qatar, anymore to resell it then to Turkey because that's how it works. It's not like there's a direct line from Turkey all the way to Qatar. It goes from Turkey to Iran, Iran to Qatar. So Qatar sells it to Iran, Iran resells it to Turkey. That is how it's done because Qatar sells it to Iran. Get it? So this is why Qatar is like, no, we can't do this. This is horrible. But you know, they have other problems going on right now as well down there, Oman and Yemen, which both have pipelines that pipe up to Qatar, pipe up to Iran, that pipe up to Turkey. Because, see, people don't understand the scale. Iran being shut down means that Qatar is no longer selling to Iran. Oman, Oman, Yemen, no longer selling to Iran. Like this is huge. Okay, this is huge, and people are just not getting it. So anyway, but they have locusts going on there, like biblical scale locusts, which is pretty insane. Um, you know, there's a lot of pro-government bombing going on in Syria. Uh, there's so much going on um, in the Middle East right now that, you know, you just can't pick one to go on. Um, and like I said, uh, the president of the United States is actually going to go to Turkey in July. So that's pretty weird. Now, moving along to how the EU is now throwing their weight behind um, Turkey and supporting them because they know they're up on the chopping block for sanctions, not only for, you know, the BS of purchasing stuff from Russia, not only for grandstanding, not only for what they're doing in Syria, even though they're kind of agreeing on a zone, you know, they're totally against the Kurds. They kill Kurds all the time. So it's a big deal for them. Now we got this Iran oil thing. So the EU is standing behind and so is the UK, but then we see WikiLeaks, and here's where I'm concerned 
I'm feeling like WikiLeaks is part of the global, um, the global deep state. And I'll tell you why. We're going to get Assange. They like it or not, Assange is one day going to come to the U.S. and talk. But it seems like it's really, really pushing. So he just got 50 weeks of jail time for skipping bail on uh, a case that was dropped, which is insane. (laughs) It's just insane. Today, he appeared before the courts. He appeared before the courts via, um, you know, video conference uh, because he's at the Belmarsh prison in southeast London. Anyway, and he made this statement, which is super weird. He's like, I do not wish to surrender myself for extradition for doing journalism that has won many awards and protected many people. So that's a statement he made. And um, it's really weird. Because it's as if he's complying and I would get it. Because Julian Assange is very vulnerable right now. Other people, he depends on the United Kingdom's government for food, water, and health. And what struck me odd is that in regards to his health, his lawyer made it a point to say that he hadn't seen a doctor in like forever. But I found records that he had seen a doctor in 2015, like he was getting checkups. So it was super weird that she said that because after she said that, I went digging and I found it. So it was really weird. Anyway, they said that, um, so reports that I've been reading, there's tons of them. Uh, the judge's name was Michael Snow. And um, at the Westminster Magistrates Court, Assange on video was seen to be wearing like a sports jacket and some jeans. He looked really, you know, stoic and calm. Um, And, you know, outside of the courtroom where this was being held, there were a lot of Assange supporters saying shame on you to the judge and screaming and whatever. The judge said that it would likely be many, many months before a full hearing is held on the substance or the validating, are we validating the U.S. extradition case? So there's a procedural hearing happening on May 30th. So you know what? what's funny is, is that this is how it usually goes, right? Procedural hearings and then you set a court date, right? To have the substantive hearing. That's how shit how stuff happens in England. Their court systems are different than ours. That's why when I saw that Assange was arrested and he was already at the substantive hearing and the sentencing immediately expedited, you know, that was like, uh oh, they're going to really take their time with this. So the substantive hearing is going to happen on June 12th um, when the United States finally gives a full extradition request um, and Assange's lawyers will take a look into it. So experts say that it could take 18 months or longer. I'm going to tell you it can take even longer than that. Maybe you can say 18 years because here's the thing. The United Kingdom is now part of the EU. And there are two appeal processes. And the appeal processes and the hearings for those take a while. So if there's any appeal done, let's pretend that they appeal it like right away in June. It'll be heard in October. And then there will be a secondary appeal to another higher court, I guess. And that will then be for March of 2020. And then they file an appeal hearing 
for the European Union High Court. So then it goes European Union Court, sorry. And that'll be heard some point in November of 2020. And then that one will appoint, okay, well, we see merit or we don't. We'll put you for a preliminary hearing with the High Court of the EU. So then that gets booked out like two or three years. And then the High Court says, oh, let's have the substantive one. That's booked out within the next five years. So we're talking like... 10 years instantly, right? So this is pretty huge, okay? This is very, very huge. The dragging of the feet. The only way that we can get Assange to come here is by him voluntarily coming. So what the United States needs to do is put down a an ironclad package and that, um, that ensures that he will not be tried for anything else uh, that he will only be coming for those claims, and that's it. And all, or they could say, you will allow us to charge you with this, and you will get zero, you know, jail time or something, or something favorable or whatever. Julian Assange knows that the president of the United States, and I'm pretty sure he would, would pardon him for everything. Everybody knows this. Everybody says this. Anybody saying otherwise is not on Team America. You have to understand that. Julian Assange can give us the keys to everything. He has more information that he hasn't even published from the DNC exchange server. There is way more out there. And like I've said before, the only reason we know about Seth Ridge is because there's people on the internet uh, that were present, that were discussing with Seth Ridge when he was uploading all this information, but also because WikiLeaks made it a point to talk about it. Other than that, there were so many other players in this DNC exchange hack and other local lifts of information, right? From senates, from congress, from, 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 right? And that have been unsung heroes that have been killed and stopped dead in their tracks and probably already sent their stuff to Julian Assange. And you and I don't know about it yet. This is the only reason you know Seth Rich exists. One, because of people on the internet talking about an unsolved murder and two because Julian Assange inferred or it led to the speculation by offering a reward to find his killer that it may be him we all know it's him a lot of us that have been on the back end and on internet relay chat rooms that have seen the documentation before it even went to WikiLeaks before it even was on their radar know who did it so if anything, I would be very concerned if Assange doesn't get the real offer and the real packet of extradition from the United States. That concerns me because the female lawyer said something about his health and that is exactly how they do out prisoners in the European Union. They don't poison you. They give you something like coffee with an extra amount of XYZ um, chemical. Let's just pretend I'm going to dumb it down as, and this isn't even possible, but I'm just going to pretend that whatever coffee you drink or whatever food you eat has an increased amount of calcium. I'm just saying, okay? And um, over time, like a year, if you get so much calcium all the time, you're going to have a heart attack and you're going to die. And that's because, you know, your heart will weaken or whatever. 
This is just fictional. I'm just saying that doesn't really happen. And you can't just increase the concentration. Anyway, whatever. So, um, so without giving away what the chemical is. So there are ways that they take you out. And this is why I said 50 weeks was really odd because the one specific chemical that is undetectable, that is in your food and water, when they want to take you out, takes about 40 to 50 weeks to come into full effect. Now, depending on the morphology of this chemical and the concentration, it'll affect organs like your liver, kidney, and even your brain. So, um, because of the deposits. So you have to, it's usually the liver though, because that's the one that mimics something else. I can't say it because then people will know. But some people out there that are listening, and there's a lot of big ears that listen to me, that is the concern that we have. So the faster we can get Assange here, the faster we know he can be safe. So that's that on Assange. Uh, we will know more on June the 12th when we have the substantive hearing. Uh, you know, maybe May 30th, they might even push it out even more. Who knows? Uh, but that is a very big deal. The WikiLeaks issue is a very, very big deal. Now, what I wanted to do was kind of take a look at what our president tells us, because I've said it before and I'll say it again. He doesn't tweet things because he just fancies tweeting, right? He doesn't retweet things because he doesn't. And sometimes he does. He likes a video. He likes a picture or whatever. But what he tweets is very, very important. So he retweeted the Biden article, you know, about his son being a cocad, getting kicked out of the Navy. You know, we need to talk about Biden for a second. Because yesterday he was saying, oh, you know, China's not the enemy of this. He is signaling to China, throw money behind me. Use your sock puppets because it was the Chinese that were infiltrating Twitter, not Russia. Okay, let's be fair. And I'll help destrangulate whatever Trump is doing. He was like signaling out to China. Everybody missed that yesterday. And it's like, mm, no, 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 no. So that's one thing. We need to focus on Biden and what he's doing. Next, the president retweeted Byron York, who said, I understand the talk about Mueller not deciding on Trump obstruction, but he did decide, didn't he? If you're investigated for something and you learn that the prosecutor is closing down without taking any action, you're happy, right? I mean, that's his decision. I have to close it down because I got nothing, so I can't prosecute, so there's nothing, so there's no obstruction, no crime. So why are we questioning the report, right? That is common sense. I, I think the Democrats don't seem to understand it. He shut it down because Barr said, all right, what are you doing? What do you got? I got nothing. Do you have anything else? No. Do you have any other leads? No. Then why are you keeping it open? Yeah, I know. I have to shut it down. That's basically it. The rule of law applies and the rule of no waste fraud of tax dollars, right? <laughs> that's fraud, you know, wasting money like this. So that's that. His next two tweets, you know, consecutive is, and I'll read it as one go. Steve Moore, a great pro-growth economist and truly fine person, has decided to withdraw from the Fed process. Steve won the battle of ideas, including tax cut and deregulation, which have produced non-inflationary prosperity for all Americans. I've asked Steve to work with me toward future economic growth in our country. He withdrew from the Fed process. Wow, that Federal Reserve is coming in to talk again. This is pretty incredible, you guys. I mean, think about it. 
we're talking the Fed again. What is happening with the Fed? What's happening? Remember when I said that the that the that the dollar will change, it won't be petro anymore? Well, it's a really big deal. Like the fact that he is pulling out, hmm, I'm liking this. What do you guys think? I like this. I like the fact that he withdraws consideration from the Fed board. So he doesn't want to be part of the Federal Reserve Board. That is a really big deal. That is a huge deal. Because he's talked about policy. He's been about the gold standard, right? I don't know why he would pull out. Think about it. He's, he's been obviously a lot of Senate Republicans have objected him going because they know exactly what he wants to do. And that's burn the Fed down with, you know, with matches the minute he sits in there. So that's really weird because for him to withdraw, it means that he's getting a lot of heat and a lot of stress from other people. And the president is totally fine with that. He's like, it's okay. Because a lot of GOP senators took really, they they, they really didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like um, what he was saying about the gold standard. They didn't like um, the way he was talking about, oh, this is so fruity, women and money and whatnot. They didn't like it. But the thing is, he was going to burn the Fed down. That's the problem. The problem is, is that he was going to take the Fed down. So anyone that goes up there looking to really fix the Fed, you think he's going to step down like that? Oh, yeah, you know, sticks and stones. No. Bonafide threats. I can tell you that there are two people in the Senate that were elected this year that both lost their children. Both of them lost their children. Lost their children. Are you getting it? This is where the threats go. What if you had your young child suddenly, I don't know, get sick real quick and just die? Mm-hmm. You should check that out. Two. Two of them. Super patriots. Because they lost their own people for saying, you're not going to bully me. And they said, you want to make a bet? And you know what? Anyone out there, and one of you big ears that listen, that has been threatened It's best to go straight to President Trump and let him know. XYZ threatened me. Here's the threat I got. Don't think that they have more control over you. We are many. They are few. I'll see you all after the break, and hopefully I'll have Scott Adams with me too so we can discuss more. More about what's going on, and maybe we can toy about Nadler being a big baby and turning off microphones in the middle of people talking. I'll see you all in a few. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio.
You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Uh, today, as I said, has been a very busy global policy day. Uh, we talked about Iran. We talked about Turkey, India, China. We talked about Assange. And now I want to talk about domestic things. So I brought no one else other than Scott Adams with me so we can all discuss things like Nadler and the um, growing, yeah, it's very likely that Obama will be impeached from what's coming out and how Barr is being received and what is really going on with this Mueller situation. Uh, so without further ado, Scott Adams, welcome to the Tory Says Show. Um, everyone can follow Scott Adams at www.scottadamshow.com. He has a three-hour program that you can actually listen to commercial-free that he uploads there. Um, and he has some really good commentary. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Tori. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's always a pleasure. I, I wanted to, to to play a little clip of Nadler, and I want you to tell me what you think of it. It's a 50-second clip, and in this clip, Nadler <laughs> infers, no, pretty much makes the statement that Barr is blackmailing the committee. Okay? And... Um, and then we'll talk about how he was like super Gestapo uh, during the uh, hearing today. So I want to play that clip. Let's get what is your response to the ranking member who says you're torpedoing this hearing? We're not torpedoing this hearing. The committee has the right to determine its own procedures. The attorney general has a nerve to try to dictate, and the administration has a nerve to dictate our procedures. It's simply part of the administration's uh, complete stonewalling of Congress, uh, period. And uh, what the ranking member is saying is that by determining how we'll proceed, we are stonewalling, as if it's our choice that he should not come. Uh, he is trying to blackmail the committee into not uh, following what we think is the most effective uh, means of, uh, of, of eliciting the information we need. And the Congress cannot permit the executive branch we cannot permit the administration to dictate to Congress how we operate. Okay, so what's your take on that? Well, I think Doug Collins is right when he says that uh, Nadler is bending over backwards to do anything he can to prevent Barr from speaking. Uh, you can't, you can't, you know, that's the way you do it, actually, is, you know, if Barr is going to speak, and they're like, well, we got to get out of this. We we already know that we have nothing here. We're going to look like dodo brains. Uh, and they ask for all these things that they know Barr is going to object to. Now they got they got it. So Barr is looking like he is defensive. That he's what is he afraid of? And you know you have this wackadoodle of a congressman from uh, Tennessee, Co Cohen. He's the same guy that said uh, that Peter Strzok 
should get a purple heart. I mean, think about it. I mean, that's just insane, well, right? Cohen, bringing a chicken the, to the, the and they, they they basically want to make it look like to their to their flock, to their Kool Aid drinking constituents, that Barr is the one that's uh, got something to hide. That yeah. they're trying to. This is just a tactic. I, d- I just wanted to say. Uh, People that haven't worked in the intelligence community usually call the Silver Stars Purple Hearts so people understand what they are. Um, so that's probably what he was referring to. Um, and people are calling a Purple Heart. I just wanted to say something comical, though. During this talk, I, I just retweeted it. Something is really wrong with Nadler's face. Have you noticed that his eyebrow, his one eyebrow, his left eyebrow is like stuck on wrong? Yeah, yeah, he's always had a pro- he's had a problem with that. He's he's got staples in his stomach. He's well, yeah, he's a mess. He wanted to lose weight, but the eyebrow is like super weird. Like, is it from Botox? I mean, it's literally vertical, so it's really weird. But what I wanted to say is, he said that the attorney general is blackmailing them, and this is a man who went there, opened it while Matt Gates was talking. He turned off his microphone. Did you know that? Matt Gates yeah, was yeah, talking, and he literally turned off the microphone. Where are we in, in 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 a communist country? That is like so Gestapo. Like, who does he think he is? Well, here's what AG Barr said. He said the evidence is now that the president was falsely accused of colluding with the Russians and accused of being tre- treasonous and ru- and a Russian agent. And the ev- the evidence now is that was without a basis and two years of his admin have been dominated by the allegations that have now been proven false. So that's a that's a quote. Uh, Paul Sperry quoted that as something that came from A.G. Barr. That is damning. And we all as voters who voted to support Donald Trump are victims of this crime. I, I, I really believe that they are, should be Civil litigation, we have as a right uh, to sue our country in, in, in the fact, in the sense that um, they have taken from us what we are duly entitled to. If President Trump spends one week that's uh, de- dealing with this mess, that's one week we were denied services that we voted for. So they're already winning by every single stunt that they per- perpetuate. I mean, I'm looking right now on the TV screen at Ted Lieu, one of the biggest jokers on the planet from California. And they're all in lockstep perpetuating this nonsense, bringing chickens to Congress and playing these games and this charade. And the only reason why they're doing it is because they're trying to, st- to do anything, throw spaghetti at the wall, hope something sticks, they're trying to delay what Trump is about to do, which is to unleash hell on the deep state, which is going to, you know, basically plaster egg all over their faces. Well, Schiff, yeah, no, you haven't heard Schiff too much, have well, you? Well, yesterday he talked and he was flapping his mouth. But what we need to remember is, is that they're demanding. Yeah, they're demanding the Mueller report. And what they want from the Mueller report is the stuff they can't have because it's under grand jury and under investigation. That's right. They want to find out what, what the goods are against them. Right, exactly. They, they want to find out as much as they can about the sealed indictments that could implicate them. 
Exactly, because they know they're on the chopping block. Um, Doug Collins tweeted out that over the 206-year history of this committee staff, never questioned witnesses in an oversight hearing. Never, not once. So to say Chairman Nadler's demands are unprecedented would be an understatement. Now take a listen to what, what he... Barr's crime, you know, Pelosi's coming out and saying that Barr lied and that, uh, and then and then when the re- reporter asked Pelosi, so what next? Isn't that a crime? Shouldn't you? And then she's like, what, waffles it back and she says, well, you know, it takes, a, it's a process. There's a process. But they're right out of the blocks. Uh, MSNBC said it yesterday. Brian Williams muted Barr's mic went to the studio and basically they said Barr was lying. They said Lindsey Graham was lying. And they're just reading the report. They're just taking the report and regurgitating it. That's all they're doing. But what they did was really misleading also. Rachel Maddow uh, was very misleading when she played a clip about uh, uh, Representative Christ from Florida. He was a Republican at one point. Then he flipped over, became a Democrat, so he could win a congressional seat. He was former governor of Florida. So what happened was he had asked the question about uh, has he heard anything about some of the investigators as part of the special counsel complain about his interpretation. And he said in response, and if you listen to the full thing, he said, that he was some he was not going to summarize and that his job wasn't about adding color or summarizing or doing anything like that he said also that they may have wanted more context or more information to get out there uh, but it's my job to tell you whether or not there was a crime or not and that was the preliminary uh, summary that he gave where he gave this basically this note and said there was no collusion there was no obstruction that's it. It's not my job as the attorney general to colorize this in any way, summarize it in any way. And if you get into that notion of summarizing, you, you then have to have all kinds of analysis, all kinds of conversations, things he wasn't willing to partake in because it wasn't his investigation to begin with. And for Kamala Harris to suggest that he needs to read all 20 thousand pages of the documents that were part of the investigation is disingenuous because Kamala Harris was a prosecutor in California and knows better that, that the prosecutor doesn't read every single piece of evidence that's been entered into evidence. They just take the summary, the report. Barr read the 400 and something page report that Mueller issued and he formulated his interpretation. Furthermore, the part where you have... Um, Robert Mueller, he said, with regard to obstruction, I have no finding. I'll leave that up to Barr. And Barr then created his own finding, and he issued it. And that was it. And basically, it was uh, Barr said yesterday, this, is, this was my baby, that the subcontractor or contractor or U.S. attorney uh, uh, role that Mueller was playing with his special counsel was a service to the AG, once he handed it over to the AG, it belonged to William Barr at that point. Well, listen. So, a, listen to a, this. Mueller gave Mueller gave Barr the uh, permission to interpret the obstruction charge and said there was no collusion. 
But there was no obstruction charge. He had to shut down the investigation because there was nothing. That's basically right. But what I wanted to do is play this two-minute clip from MSNBC where they literally say, you hear Nicole Wallace say that Barr is a liar. Take a listen to this. Uh, began as early as Again, our intention uh, always is to bring as much of this uninterrupted to you as possible. Dick Durbin's coming up after Republican Senator Cornyn of Texas. But so much has been said here and placed on the record by the attorney general that starting with Nicole Wallace, we want to correct some of the record against, of all things, what it says in the Mueller report. Nicole. So um, I'm not going to dance around this. He's lying. He's lying about what the Mueller report finds around one of the critical flashpoints in the obstruction investigation. One of the incidents that was investigated by Robert Mueller and his obstruction investigators was the attempted firing of the special counsel. It was one of the incidents that was under investigation into um, really days before Mueller wrapped up. He's quibbling with whether removing Mueller and firing him is the same thing. Here's how Donald Trump talked about removing slash firing special counsel Mueller. This is from Chris Christie's testimony. One of five witnesses cited in the footnotes of the Mueller obstruction report about Donald Trump's efforts to fire Robert Mueller. Chris Christie recalled a telephone conversation with the president in which the president asked what Christie thought about the president firing, firing, not removing the special counsel. Christie advised against doing so because there was no basis for the president to fire the special counsel and because the president would lose support from Republicans in Congress. I'm going to disagree with Christie on that. Here's McGahn's testimony. I'm not going to read all the witnesses, but here's McGahn on the president's effort to make McGahn fire him. Again, from the footnote in the obstruction report. Although McGahn recalled receiving multiple calls from the president on the same day, he was not certain of the specific dates, but he was confident that he had at least two phone conversations. The president, in which the president directed him to call the acting attorney general and have the special counsel removed. It's also the colorful reporting from this report where um, Don McGahn says to Reince Priebus, which is the third witness to this incident, the president asked me to do some crazy shit. And I'm sorry to swear, but I think we've got an attorney general lying about what is in the Mueller report around what was one of the most investigated flashpoints in the obstruction investigation. And, and my question again is why? Okay, so I wanted to say something. Uh, Barr actually addressed that. He actually addressed it and said he can remove the special counsel. That's in his executive privilege. That's not obstruction of justice. That right. he can do. It's his right to remove him. And President right. he Trump. Could, he could fire the yeah, FBI right. director. He could right. file the special. And remember, counsel. yeah, and remember, he is not uh, the. He's not a, a politician. Uh, removing and by the way, firing not illegal the thing. to yeah. have a thought. No, he no, no. thought it. Yeah, no. But he could have done it. That's what I'm saying. And it's illegal. And it would not right. be seen as obstruction of justice by replacing him. Not at all. And in, in layman terms, if I say, well, I'm going to remove her from my service, that means what? I'm firing them. So well, it's and you the know, same I, thing. They're playing you know, here's wordsmithing. The thing. It's, it's not illegal for him to think this. And he's allowed to have counsel, and he's allowed to talk about a whole bunch of things that he might consider. And then he listens to the advice and counsel. And acts accordingly. That's how it's done. But, you know, so it's not illegal for him. But his, his whole motive was this. And he said it on Hannity last week. He said, 
I was waiting for Mueller to shut it down. He said this to Hannity last week because of obstruction. He didn't want Mueller to obstruct. Mueller was just working on one little facet, which was which was collusion between Russia and Trump. And that's all that there was to that investigation. But what Huber and Horowitz and Matthew Whitaker were working on was a whole broader swath of things that were targeted toward the Podestas. Like a lot of people would ask, why don't they go after the Podestas? Why don't they go after, you know, Hillary? Well, because that's a whole different investigation. They didn't want Mueller going after those people. And and Mueller wasn't going after those people. Mueller was scoped in. So they didn't want to reveal their investigation until Mueller was done because Mueller would have learned a lot and then he would have tried to obstruct the progress of Trump's counterattack, which is now starting to you know come out into the ether. But that's really what that was all about. And so he, Mueller doesn't know anything about what Horowitz and Huber are doing. Well, here's and the that's thing. the Here, here's the thing, though. He had the right to replace him. He knew that it was a fix. He knew that he was doing rubbish. And Wallace herself made it clear that right before he wrapped it up, he was investigating how he was going to get fired by Trump. And fired is removed, and he could do that because he's the president. He could well, say, "I don't you like know this that special they were delaying counsel. unnecessarily. Right, they, right. He could have wrapped this up well before the 2018 election. He right. could have wrapped this up in 2017 exactly. with the information that he had. And the reason why he kept it open was because he was preventing, he was acting, as Q said, he was acting as a blockade. And Trump understood that. And Trump had to sit on his hands and couldn't counterattack until Mueller was done. And Mueller would have never left if it wasn't for the decisions and changes that were made at the DOJ, because at some point, Trump was growing desperate and needed the counterattack. He needed to get his ball moving, particularly before his reelection campaign. Well, I'm and, not for that. I'm not for counterattack. He wasn't counterattacking. He wanted to be president, and he literally couldn't do anything with Mueller. Then. No, he's not he counterattack. He, well, he, no. he definitely is counterattacking. That's what Horowitz and Huber's investigation is going to be all about. Listen, That's what D-Class is going to be all about. That's what Radcliffe and, and Meadows and Jordan and even Grassley are all talking about. It, the, the, the shoe's got to be on the other foot. That's exactly what Barr's talking about. Barr's indicating that the evidence is really about collusion on the other team, not the one that Robert Mueller was looking at. Okay, we need to get something straight. When President Trump took office, he was going to let Hillary be, and he was going to continue, and he was going to clean up the swamp, and he was going to put America on America first path. It, within mm -hmm. months... You know, he saw that they were working against him. They were attempting to overthrow him. His vice president was against him. He was smelling it, but he wasn't sure of it. He was being told, well, I had to do it because the 302 said this. It's not like I'm defiant to you. He was smelling it, but he didn't know what was going on. He couldn't put his finger on it, and he didn't know who to trust. The first five months of his presidency were chaos because he had no idea what was going on. He saw the media attacking him. No one gave him a chance to be president. No one let him try to do anything. And everyone on his team was being attacked. So he started the counterattack there to remove them because that showed that they were attacking the people. So it's not just Trump. They were attacking the people for what? 
power. And this is how it happened. And the fact that they placed Mueller was to stop him from acting as a president, to stop him from being able to use his executive privilege. Imagine how much he has done for our nation with his hands and feet bound. Oh, I know. I know. And that's why that's why I think that I I think that the American people have a good case for civil litigation and suing the government for denying them their their rightful uh, election. You know, the one that they voted. I would be totally game to file one like that. Who's with me? We could file it in any court and sue the federal government. You know, for it. By the way, I mean, we look back at all the little details and go back and look at all of our research for the last year and a half, two years. You go back to July 16th, 2018. You go back to Helsinki and you see three days prior to that, you got the 12 Russian indictments. You got uh, every time Trump was talking about, you know, pulling out of Syria. Uh, next thing you know, you got this chemical weapons attack and Lindsey Graham comes out of the ether, comes out of the woodwork and uh, gets on the mic and talks about Khashoggi, talks about Russia's evil, talks about the chemical weapons, talks about staying in Syria, talks about all these things. Because once again, if it's if 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 Russia's our ally, then you can't blame Russia for all these things because you're going to be hurting diplomacy if so long as Russia's the enemy. It's easy to blame Russia for all this stuff that you can't prove, but will never have to because it will never show a day in the court. And if you can blame Russia, then you can take the blame away from who? Obama and Hillary. And that's what the Russia thing was all about. Well, okay. So you have to you, – you you know what? I'm, I'm actually really loving that idea of filing a civil suit. Like I have – the I have the drive to do that, and then maybe I can ask people that listen to my we show. Have, we should do it. I mean, problem. I can file and say I don't have the money for filing fees, and just you know, file it when I'm down in D.C. in July and say I'm suing. Um, you know, who appointed him? Rod Rosenstein for appointing Mueller and disallowing. Well, you can't sue an individual because an individual is doing his duty. But what you can do is you can sue Justice. the government. Yeah, the Department, Department of Justice. Of yeah, for disallowing me to enjoy my president and allowing him, yeah. you know, allowing or the FBI for false investigation. Yeah, that too. Maybe we can conjoin them against both of them. I mean, and you know, we wouldn't have to pay fees because we're just little people, and it could be pro se, and you know, maybe a firm will pick it up. Who knows? But um, what you were um saying is the the issues that we have here with Barr and um, the Judiciary Committee is why would he want to go there when they were a hot mess, you know? And it was just ridiculous. I wanted to play a quick clip from Doug Collins um, that was on C-SPAN. Oh, yeah, rock star. Yeah, take a listen to what he says. For his opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Let's be very clear. There is only one reason and one reason only at this point, we are not being able to fulfill our constitutional role of oversight, and that is the chairman's demands that were played out yesterday. We could have had a hearing today. What bothers me the most about this is not only did in standing uh, for the questions that were discussed and the issues that have been discussed between me and the chairman, not only did he take the ability for the American people to hear again from Bill Barr, he took our ability to hear from Bill Barr today to protect Maybe, because some didn't feel like they could ask proper questions. Maybe they wanted more staff questions. Who knows? 
But yesterday we found this, that he claims that uh, he wants staff, questions, staff to question the Attorney General because the five minute per member is not enough. But yet we spent a, and approved a motion yesterday that said we could do a whole hour, an extra hour, between the chairman and myself. He could have took one of these fabulous members that he has, and he has some excellent attorneys on his side, some of the best. He could have given them all 30 minutes. And they could have questioned the Attorney General any way they wanted to. Instead, we go back to a circus political stunt to say we want it to look like an impeachment hearing because they won't bring impeachment proceedings. That's the reason. Take whatever you want to take. You can go out and have press conferences. You can say it from this dice. You can say whatever you want to have. But the reason Bill Barr is not here today is because the Democrats decided they didn't want him here today. That's the reason he's not here. You could have done anything else you wanted. And what is amazing to me is to say that he is scared of answering questions, to scare that he not. And you can disagree with the Attorney General all you want, but for yesterday, he sat for over almost six hours in the Senate voluntarily asking questions, even on a second round that was taken up by Democrats who wanted to ask more questions. And you can agree, did he do good, did he do bad? It doesn't matter, but we're not getting that opportunity today because the stunt in the circus continues over here. All we had to do, we agreed to more time. We could talk about executive session, but no. For some reason, for some purpose, except the optics of something they can't do or don't want to do right now, they wanted to have a staff member ask questions. I said before, if that staff member wants to ask questions to desperately, run for Congress. Put a pen on. Find a committee. But you know, I can continue on and on and on about the issues that we have here and the impeachment agenda and whatever you want to have and saying that he's blackmailing this committee, he's terrified to come before this committee. I think yesterday he proved he's not terrified to sit before anybody, especially the Senate, which they actually extended the question time on. He answered the question, whether you like the question or not, as my chairman told me yesterday, it's not a matter of whether we agree or disagree on this. We have the motions, we move the motion, we do the motion. You can agree with the Attorney General or disagree with the Attorney General, but not hearing from them is a travesty for this committee today. But I would be remiss if I also did not mention the largest tragedy of this day. It actually was from yesterday. The chairman just stated a few moments ago that we can't let moments pass. And I agree completely. Because what happened yesterday on this dais was a travesty. When you do not recognize members for valid motions, when you call things dilatory, questioning the motives of what members are doing it for. I have sat on this committee for six years, and I have sat through hours of motions to strike the last word, of giving other members on the minority side more time, more time. One of my biggest concerns I ever had with Chairman Goodlatte is, why do you let it continue? Just call the previous question. And on two, two occasions last Congress, he did on re our resolutions of inquiry, after almost six to seven hours of debate. The question I have here is not what Bill Barr is scared of. My question is, what are the Democrats scared of? They don't want Bill Barr here today. They've had the report. They've read it. They don't like what's in it. The chairman won't even go look at what the attorney general offered him. It's pretty amazing to me. He wants to go in executive session and ask questions about it, but he won't go read it. Now, you can go read it and ask for more. But here's the problem today, and this problem from yesterday is not over. 
If the majority wants to run a committee in which minority rights do not matter, parliamentary procedure does not matter, we saw it on full display yesterday, it will not continue. We will continue this in exercise, and we will exercise what we have as minority, which is the minority rights to ask questions, to make motions. Because at the end of the day, unless we've forgotten, Mr. Chairman, you've got more votes than we do. You will get what you want. But just like we sat on this side and you sat on this side and got to spend hours talking about whatever you wanted to talk about while Chairman Goodlatte sat there and let you do it. And all you wanted to, and the question that bothered me the most yesterday is we've got time, we've got to get onto another bill. Timing does not trump minority rights. And there's not a member on this dais that should say it's not. And freshman members or anybody else who's here for the first time, that's not how this committee works. And if you don't believe me, ask Chairman Sensenbrenner for three times. Three times was Chairman of this committee. And he laid it out clearly yesterday. But when we degregate members of my side calling Ms. Lesko's amendment, ridiculous, calling ours dilatory, that's just wrong and should offend everybody on this dais. Mr. Chairman, this is wrong. The tragedy of today is not that you have an empty chair, not that you have props. You can call the Attorney General whatever you want. You know, I'm reminded of sticks and stones kind of quote. But what really bothers me today is, is the travesty of what happened in minority rights yesterday. And there's not a member of the Democrats who were on this committee last year that can honestly look me in the face and say y'all were not treated much better by a chairman who actually followed the rules than we were treated. Okay, so you know what he was referring to? So he he went through a hole, and I played the whole clip, Scott, because it's important people listen to that. So yesterday I played on air how it sounded like a daycare center in there, and I I played that for you today on your show, remember, where he was just hammering away and ignoring people. He was pushing motions, tabling things, talking about amendments, throwing – like he was gavel happy like crazy, and he was ignoring everybody, everybody. He did not let the minority come in. They couldn't debate the amendment. They couldn't talk about it. They couldn't talk about, hey, are we tabling this or not? He was just like, no. And after this speech, right, after this speech, what did Nadler go ahead and do? He turned off Matt Gates's microphone while he was talking. Yeah. Like, this is insane. Like, how is this even, is that a committee? Like, they're the only ones that decide. Nadler decides. He has the gavel, slams it. He's like, that's it. Let's vote. We're done. We're not going to hear anything. And he was so right about, you know, Barr. Because you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to have a staff member ask questions. And here's the thing. Um, When you have a lawyer, that's who the staff member was. They're lawyers. When lawyers are given the right in Congress to ask questions, that's usually when you undergo what? Impeachment proceedings, right? Where you have attorneys ask questions. What he wanted to give was the impression that they were bringing in lawyers to question the lawyer of the country and, in essence, give the impression that this is being reviewed legally, do you see what I mean? If they really wanted to ask real questions, they would have read whatever they had and maybe talked with their on-staff attorneys and formulated questions that they want to ask. Because they all go there with their written stupid statements, don't they? They've got staffers up the bejesus writing things down for them. 
None of these people come out there and actually know what they're going to talk about. They've got paperwork. They've got questions. They even have answers and responses on ready. It's very few of them, like Collins and who else do we see? We see Jordan sometimes that, that just go off the seat of their pants because they know what they're talking about. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is incredible when you think that the Judiciary Committee that oversees the law, right, and judicial proceedings can't even follow their own rules. And they're using a Gestapo. This is exactly what we would see across the nation if the Democrats were in power. No one would have a say, only them. I mean, what is your take on that? For me, it's super alarming. What do you think? Oh, it's alarming, all right. Um, you know, but it, again, it's, it's a, a, I think it's a show of desperation. I, I think we know that the jig is up. They're, they're, on, they're not on plan A now. They, their plan A is long gone. Plan B has gone. Plan C is out the window. Plan D is – they're on plan like survival mode. Honestly, I mean what's about to happen to the Democrat Party is going to be historic. I mean if you, if you care about anything that Joe DeGeneva said, we're about a week or two away from Jim Comey going down. Uh, you know, the further we distance ourselves from the Mueller report, and that's why Kellyanne Conway said today, we need to move on from, from the Mueller report. The key is to get the Mueller report out of the ether, out of the mainstream media, out of, you know, the news cycle. Because there's another news cycle that needs to take hold. And and then the ebb and the flow, you know, the ebb flows, right? It's going to be basically a shift in the tide. And that tide can't shift right now. We're in troubled waters because the tide is shifting. And anytime you have water that's going in two different directions, you get ripples. And right now, you're having a collision right now. You have the Democrats grasping on to the last, you know, last thing with their claws out, hanging on by a thread. And it's the, they see this thing shifting, and it's it's just game over for them, uh, because what we're about to, the the counterattack, and again, I think Trump has done this brilliantly because he stayed clear of it. He knew he was innocent. He knew he didn't do anything. He knew that this was a rigged game. More than anybody else, Trump knew the truth. Trump knew the truth. Trump has seen the unredacted. He sees the games. He sees Schiff say one thing knowing that Schiff read another. You know, and Nadler the same, and Cummings the same, and Pelosi the same. You know, and he knows that this is an act of desperation. Yeah, but here's, Trump knows better than anybody what the facts are to here, this case. Here's the thing. Nadler requested that Attorney General Barr come before the Judiciary Committee, right? Well, Nadler received a listen. Nadler received a less redacted version, right, um, of the Mueller report. In addition to that, he was expecting testimony from the Attorney General today, correct? But in the meantime, he had sent a subpoena. He didn't wait to read the uh, the less redacted report, and he didn't wait to hear the testimony. Instead, he sent a subpoena, one, demanding a fully unredacted report, two, that every document cited within the report to be provided, and three, all documents obtained and investigative materials created by the special counsels over nearly two years should have been handed over. Now, we have to understand that the committee demanded 
every single inch of evidence or paperwork or anything in the investigative files that, you know, is obviously millions and millions and millions of pages worth, right? And the majority of that is classified. There's some unclassified portions, right? So he did all this and demanded all of this before he got the less redacted uh, report and before he got Barr to testify. And he knows that the um, Justice Department can't even legally provide the unredacted report. He can't because there are what? He said it. Grand jury, there are pending investigations. And on top of that, the Judiciary Committee. Grand jury, but you don't know. You can't have that. And the thing is, the Judiciary Committee actually lacks any legitimate legislative reason to ask for these things. So the job of the Judiciary Committee is to do what? legislate so where is their legitimate legislative duty that demands that they get all of this nowhere that's the thing nowhere they're not going to legislate in lieu of this stuff are they but we know that though the part we the part we don't know is what the reason for what their motive fading factor is and of course it's just a charade it's to delay the inevitable beatdown that they're about to take Right. But the thing is, if you're going to subpoena this stuff, you have to have some legitimate reason to oversee it. Right. So, like, for example, well, no, no, you do. You, you do. have a legitimate reason. There was no there was no predicating crime for the investigation. No, no, I mean, no, this wait, has wait, all no, no. been rules. I'm talking about the Judiciary Committee. They do yeah. not have any legitimate oversight to issue a subpoena like this. They don't. They don't. Right. Actually, even even Barr in a letter to him yesterday said that uh, his requests are, and I quote, a fundamental threat to the confidentiality of law enforcement files and the department's commitment to keep law enforcement investigation free of political interference. So that is what he told him. So what needs to be understand is, is that. You know, uh, you can't have it because you're not legislating and you getting this isn't going to help you legislate and us giving it to you will impede on this privacy. And Nadler is playing on the public opinion. He's trying to give the media, the Mockingbird Press, uh, fodder to, you know, basically try to point it to, to where there's some sort of a defensive posture going on. Uh, in addition to that, you know, knowing full well Barr's going to, you know, reject it and Barr's on good footing. And just like, um, you know, where Barr didn't lie, doesn't stop Nancy Pelosi from saying he lied. When the journalist asks, okay, well, that's a crime. What next? She's like, well, it's a process, blah, blah, blah. And then you don't even understand what she's saying. So obviously they're just doing this stuff for the optics. Yeah, it's but, just a but, political but- but that they they're are, doing right they now. are legislators uh, overseeing judicial legislation about what they're doing right but allowing the judiciary committee to take justice department uh, justice department case right and get all the investigative details the files the paperwork the testimony and then reinvestigate right something that the department of justice has already done and and that's pretty much what second opinion to be made on the Department of Justice is not only really, really a dangerous precedent, right? 
but it would be completely negating the whole purpose of the Department of Justice. Because think about it. If we allow them to take all the testimony, all the documents, everything, and then reinvestigate it themselves, right, independently. So we have politicians that are partisan, that our politicians investigate this and come to a different conclusion than what the Department of Justice does, then that means going forward in the future that any committee in Congress can demand a reinvestigation of an investigation delegitimizing the Department of Justice. So in the end, why do we need the Department of Justice when our politicians will do it for us? Do you see what I'm saying? This is dangerous. Like, what they're trying to do is incredible and beyond anything. Because they're saying, well, give us the paperwork. We want to reinvestigate. I'm sorry. You're not an investigator. You're not part of the DOJ. You're a politician, and you're you're partisan. Well, I mean, this goes to Trump's point over in the Senate, where... You know, go nuclear, Mitch, because given the chance, they would go, they would break precedent. Uh, they would create new precedent at any t- chance that they could. They're that desperate and they're that crazy. I mean, they would do away with the Constitution. They would take away your Second Amendment rights. They, they would open the borders and abolish ICE. They would tax you 90% if they could. They would go with, you know, single payer health care. They're nuts. They're out to lunch. The Democrat Party has completely lost their way. And so Trump was right to tell Mitch, go nuclear. Who cares what they think at this point? But, you know, Mitch is looking at it like maybe it's a political hit, whatever. But the point is, is that this is a desperate, crazy party run by a bunch of radicals. And what we're seeing here play out is uncharted territory, just like you're suggesting. But naturally, because this is an uncharted time. When was the last time you had the FBI, the DOJ, the CIA, the DNI uh, and the Democrats in the House and the entire press corps go against a duly elected president. When was the last and, time you've ever seen and that? And Republicans. Let's not forget that. We have Republicans, too. Never. Yeah, that's well, never happened. Um, uh, Speaker Ryan. Uh, how about uh, Jeff Flake? Uh, Bob McCain, Corker, Hoban. a whole host of them. There's still some of them McCain. sitting in the Senate. Yeah, there's still some of them sitting in the Senate. The bottom line is what they want is the grand jury subpoenas. They want to see what's being investigated and what's under seal right now because they can't get it. That's what they want. Their butt is itchy because they're like, oh my gosh, we're done for. Because they know exactly how far implicated they are. This is why they're stomping their feet. And Barr made it clear. If you have any legitimate legislative purpose to require more information than the the less redacted version of the Mueller report that was provided to you, so it's less redacted than what the public got, right? Then, you know, we could talk about it. But you're not getting any grand jury subpoena stuff. You're not getting information on pending investigations, period. And they are not happy about it. For some reason, they believe that they have the power to indict, that they believe they have the power to press charges. When we know the only thing they could do is put forward criminal referrals from information gathered by their own citizens. Okay, so like, for example, if you and I get together and we want to and we want to we have information that I don't know, Senator 
you know, I hate Hoven, so let's go with that. Senator Hoven, who's a Republican, did this criminal thing and we need it investigated. We would get with the Judiciary Committee or we would get with someone else and we would give them the information we have and say, we'd like you to investigate it. And at that point, they would then make a criminal investigative referral to the FBI or the Department of Justice based on what the citizens ask for. That's what their job is as legislators in general, right? That's what they have to do. So they can't say, oh, give me all your investigative stuff from the DOJ. Let me reexamine it, and then I want to press charges. You can't do that. So that's that's basically it. Like, they want to reinvestigate the case so they can get another outcome that's more favorable. And the thing is, they don't like what's in the Mueller report because it's actually nothing, and they were expecting something because they're all going to hang, just like Hillary said. I mean, it's only a matter of Well, I don't think they were expecting anything. I think that they knew that the whole thing was a ruse and a lie. But they were trying to stonewall and block the president's progress and the president's ability to actually look at the deep state corruption. That's what the whole thing was about. Comey was trying to block Trump from looking into the cookie jar and finding out how many cookies were missing. I mean, they committed a crime. They thought that it was going to be swept under the rug because they thought Hillary was going to win. When Hillary lost, uh, that was the problem. That's why they needed to have their hands back in, you know, the administration. They needed to get in there and try to fix things. Uh, and they did realize they couldn't fix it, so they were going for impeachment. You know, the only thing that they have now is impeachment. Trump wasn't supposed to win. And Hillary would have just swept all this under the rug, and no one would have ever heard of this case at all. History would have been completely different. But as it is, Trump did win, and they're trying to impeach him. And they're trying to find any dirt on them whatsoever, and they can't. He's like Teflon. And not only that, but they're trying to neutralize him. They're trying to keep him from warming relations with Russia. Because, you know, Russia would turn Ukraine in in a second right now. And uh, there was a lot of corruption uh, with Ukraine, there's a lot of corruption with the Uranium One deal. There was a lot of corruption with Benghazi and what they were doing with ISIS and that whole thing. There was a lot of corruption with the DOJ in general and the FBI. I mean, that regime was just one huge corrupt mess, the Barack Obama regime. Um, I, you know, it is a hot mess. And uh, one of my listeners and a friend of mine actually sent me a an article from Real Clear Investigations. They actually got more documents about um, Loretta Lynch's um, closed door testimony about the tarmac meeting. And it says that the day after the tarmac meeting, um, Loretta Lynch was um, there, you know, in Phoenix talking about local police policies, right? So Christopher Sign, who was that morning anchor from the ABC affiliate in Phoenix, he asked her, like, what were you talking about with Bill Clinton on your jet the night before? She was like caught off guard and she was like oh we were great it's just grandchildren you know talk about travels golf attorney general janet reno in west virginia it was primarily social she said there was no discussion of any matter pending or any pending matter for the justice department or anyone else so this is this is where it gets really creepy like the article um Paul Sperry tweeted it out a couple hours ago let me retweet that so the listeners can get a hold of it um Basically, it goes through how it. she said that it was a little under 10 minutes, but, you know, 
it was literally 20 minutes. And so she was talking about the small talk they did and everything. And it was just her testimony is pretty weird because it was contradictory, you know, because the meeting went on too long. It was very, you know, um, ill-timed and she was backtracking what she was saying. She said, you know, that they would, you know, he wouldn't stop talking. She was telling him, yeah, okay, we're done. I said that we had to move on. And then, you know, when she wanted to wrap it up, he was like saying that, you know, he was moving on someplace as well. He didn't know, she didn't know if he was going to West Virginia, but somehow they started talking about West Virginia and that's where they were talking about coal mining. So apparently Bill Clinton kept the conversation going when she wanted it to stop. So that is where, you know, it went weird. And then she said that they were talking about the Times, the New York Times, and it was probably about Brexit that they were talking about when her staffer walked in on the plane. So they were in the plane and they heard them talking about Brexit. So it's really, really weird, like reading it, like skimming through it. It was like, oh, my gosh, it totally smells like BS because, you know, um, it was just talking about other things. Like the only thing that she like, we never heard that they were discussing Brexit, did we? We never heard of it at that point, you know, when they were going through the vote then. And she started saying they were talking about West Virginia and mining, but she was like, oh, in her meeting the next day, she was talking about how, you know, um, they were talking about Janet Reno. So it was really, really odd, you know, uh, that she tried to cover it up. She said she had gotten back from China. She was taking a shortcut trip back down to Florida because of the pulse shooting You know, that's the stuff that she was saying under a little under 10 minutes. But then during the closed door, she was elaborating on other things that nobody knew about. So, you know, it was really weird because the security detail was there. And then Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton stepped to the back of the plane. This is just really weird. What do you think? I mean, this tarmac meeting could be very big. It could be. Uh, no, if we're ever going to learn truth on that, you think she I'm hearing an echo too. But oh yeah, me too. I was hearing it. You think she won't? Well, she gave her testimony. She had to open up about Brexit and you know talking about it. Especially from the Southern District of New York, expert buyers. You know, it's there's there's such swamp creatures that. Uh, you know, they got this all figured out, but uh, it's hard to know. I mean, it, if there's a recording, of course, that would be awesome. I seriously doubt that there's a recording. We all know. Uh, from what I've heard, you know, that she was promised a Supreme Court justice role if Hillary wins, and that it probably was, a, you know, a, an agreement that she would uh, not – she would recuse herself, that, that the optics on that, I think that they wanted to be spotted. I think that gave her the out. I mean, I think it played out exactly the way they had hoped it would. Uh, under normal circumstances, that would be, you know, almost criminal, you know. But where's the crime and where's the statute that says meeting somebody on a plane is a crime? So it's just bad optics. She recuses herself. She puts it in the hands of James Comey. That way she doesn't have to abuse her, uh, the integrity of, of being an AG, 
And Comey, of course, the Comeys are the best friends with the Clintons. And, uh, you know, that Comey was working with the Clintons for decades. Uh, Peter Comey was their auditor at the Clinton Foundation. The fix was in. McCabe was getting paid off by the Clintons. He was he was owned. His wife got 750000 bucks. So that's exactly where they wanted it. That, that Hillary was just, you know, and Peter Strzok and uh, Lisa Page and Andy McCabe, I mean, they were the ones that met on July 4th weekend with no recording, one, none whatsoever. I mean, how do you do that? No recording whatsoever. No documentation. No oath. The attorneys were allowed to be present. And she shows up. Who knows what they talked about? So the fix was completely in. And that, that uh, tarmac meeting was all part of it. I bet you the tarmac meeting could have very well been talking about grandfather. They just wanted the optics. They wanted her to be able to pull herself away. Because if they really wanted to have a meeting that was private, they wouldn't have done it that way. That meeting was supposed to look private, but be seen, and then she recused herself. Just like, you know, the, the, you know we just talked about yoga and weddings. Right. Same thing. We right. talked about grandpa- grandparents and our grandkids and, and golf scores. Well, Same know, thing. Almost insulting to the American people that they would try to treat us like, like that. Well, you know, we're seeing a lot of that, a lot of audacity, a lot of um, weird happenings. I mean, Nadler's stance just at the Judiciary Committee is just insane. You know, from the daycare center yesterday to the way he held himself today to the press conferences he's doing, they're seriously putting all their money into the public opinion. And the people that have an opinion that aligns with theirs aren't really people that should matter because they're people that do not contribute to our nation. The majority of them are not even Americans that are punding in. And we have a mainstream media that is running with it. And we had Wallace call our attorney general a liar, which is pretty incredible. That's a big deal. Um, Believe it or not, Scott, our hour is up. Uh, What are you expecting to see today under 40 seconds? Uh, just more fallout. I, I think you're going to start to hear more and more over the coming days. I, I think that this Friday we might see some stuff. I think in the next 10 days we're going to see some big movement related to Comey and potentially Brennan. Right. I'm thinking that tomorrow we might even see an indictment announced or unsealed. I don't know. That's where my money's on. Uh, but um, on that note, I want to thank you, Scott, for joining the Tory Says Show. Everyone, he comes to us from scottadamshow.com, where you can listen to his three-hour show. Always a pleasure deconstructing domestic politics with you and talking different point of views. But they're usually the same from different angles, aren't they? Um, from yep. everyone <laughs> from everyone here at Red State Talk Radio, we wish you guys a wonderful evening and God bless. Thank you for coming on, Scott. Thanks. Thank you, Tori. Thanks. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern time on Red State Talk Radio. Have a great day.